Turn your Bible, please, to the uh, Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. I'm trying, trying to make you think of it, but I, I know you have mask on, and I'm going to be mindful of that this morning. Um, our Bible reading is Luke 24. We've already read through the first 12 verses, and um, let's have a read. We'll begin reading in verse 13. So Luke, up until this point, has presented all kinds of evidence of the resurrection. Now um, we're going to have um, Jesus go and be with a couple of his disciples. One's name, and neither one of them are apostles, but let's read. Verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about uh, three score furlongs. Now, just to let you know what a furlong is, if uh, you don't have a little note in your Bible, it is about 11 uh, kilometers or, uh, yeah, about 11. Um, and so, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass while that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that you have one to another, as you walk, and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since the things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that uh, that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it, even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went and made as though he would have gone further but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. It came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished 
out of their sight. This morning, I want to speak to you about the great, the great comeback. The great comeback. Now, I realize uh, when we think of the word comeback, sometimes we're thinking of a a short one-liner that uh, is a reply to someone who said something to us, you give the comeback. That's not what we're talking about. And we're talking about uh, what happened with this young lady. This young lady, her name is Bethany Hamilton. She is a Christian, and actually her faith helped her get through what happened to her. When she was 13 years old, she uh, was attacked by a shark while she was surfing. And instead of giving up, instead of just throwing in and just saying, I can't do this anymore, what did she do? She got back on the board, and she uh, learned how to surf again, learned how to balance, and she did not let that stop her. There's lots of different comeback stories that we could have talked about today. Well, just the most amazing uh, comeback story is um, the great comeback of our Lord's not only his death, but his resurrection. Now, when we read last week, again, you can't see that, um, he was on the cross. It seemed like the Jewish leaders and the Jews, they had screamed out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they seemed to be all against him. And, And it seemed like they were laughing at him. They would, come down, come down. If you're really who you say you are, We see here on the third day, on resurrection morning, that it seemed as if Jesus had been defeated, but his resurrection proved that he was victorious. And folks, this morning, his resurrection is absolutely key. It's not just something religious. It's not just a reason to go to church. It's something that's meant to energize our lives every day and to be our focus and to be what moves us. Uh, His resurrection, the greatest comeback. Three things. Why is it the greatest comeback? This is not the message. This is the pre-message. Well, because first of all, because of what, what his resurrection declares about him. What did his resurrection say about who he was? Well, Luke 9, 22, it says he's not a liar because he had told them in Luke 9, 22, they're going to take me, they're going to crucify me, but on three days later, I will rise again. In Romans chapter 1, 4, it says that he was declared by his resurrection that he was the son of God, which makes him equal with God. And then you look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he's not just a king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So he is the one. You look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. You see that slain lamb and you see him like he one day will seem like he really is. So it's because of his resurrection what it declares about him. Second, because of what his resurrection declares about his power over the devil. The devil laughed at Adam and Eve, and you can say, show me that in Scripture, I can't. 
But the devil laughed at Adam and Eve when they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's been laughing at us when death was passed from Adam on down. But it says there in Hebrews chapter 2, Christ showed himself triumphant over the devil and death when he died on the cross for us. And you know, I reckon uh, none of us, uh, I hope anyway, I mean, I'm ready to go, but I'm not just in in a hurry. But if you're here this morning and you're fearing death, if you know Christ as Savior, you don't have to. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, you have every right to fear. And can I ask you that you trust Him as your Savior? And then the last thing, because of what his resurrection means to us. Romans 10.9 says that if we will believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, if we'll recognize him for who he is, ask him in our, in our heart, believe that he's resurrected, we will be saved. So it's important, the resurrection. Romans 6.1-20 talks about how that the resurrection is important in our lives every day. We are to consider consider ourselves crucified with Christ to sin, but alive to God. We've got His life living in us. I can't overcome this. I can't. Well, you know what? I understand. you got to have it. You can't stop. I understand. Christ can help us. Christ can help us. That's that resurrection power. And then 1 Corinthians 15 so many wonderful things in that verb, in that chapter, but it talks about the one I wanted to mention to you today is the fact that one day, one day, there'll be a glad reunion day. Death is not the end. We'll get to be with the Lord Jesus forever in eternity. So really, his resurrection is so, so, so important. First thing, let's go back to Luke 24, if you would. And we're just really going to go over these verses again. And we're going to make some observations, some comments as we go. The evidence of his resurrection in verses 1 to 10. First of all, what the first evidence that uh, Luke tells us about, and he's, he's really trying to help us understand who the Lord Jesus is, the first evidence that he gives us is the empty tomb. In Luke 24, 1, he says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, first day of the week, then Sunday, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. Now I love the fact that you know these women, they are called they all the way until verse 10. And then they actually introduce who they are. But here are these ladies, they come and they think they are going to do what? They didn't have time to anoint Jesus' body before uh, the Passover begun. And so they're there to, to do that a little bit just to show him honor. Well, they get there. They have the spices. They're at the sepulcher. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. 
Now the guards are passed out as well uh, for fear. Uh, the other passages tell us they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Mary Mary went to the gardener and said what? Do you have the body of my Lord? Do you have his body? It wasn't clicking with them that he had resurrected. So you first of all, you have the empty tomb. Second, you have the angel's words. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed about. Uh, they're about, I love that word perplexed. They're going to be perplexed a lot. It, it means pretty well that they were just the they were just overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So here these ladies are. They're at the tomb. These two men, angels in shining garments, what the, it says in verse verses 5 and 6a, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. You know what? I remember, I'm going to get sidetracked just for a second. I remember when I was a kid, 15 years old, I I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior two days before I was 16 years old. But in the time up to that, the Lord was speaking to my heart. I remember telling my mom and dad, I can still show you the, the at the stoplight where I asked my mom and dad. I said, mom and dad, I bet it was easier to believe in Jesus when you were there, when you could have seen the evidence of his resurrection. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that that's not so. That there were lots of people who saw the evidence of his uh, resurrection who they, they, they didn't need to know. And so you and I today, we are in no way put out or missing information because we didn't see it. It's by faith we trust him. And so you have the angel's words, and then the angel says, He is not here. Don't you remember what he said? But is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? This is a reference to uh, Luke 9.22 saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they did what? Um, yes, I remember that. We remember him saying that. Yes, we do remember. And then verse number 10. Or, uh, and return from the... Um, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. So they are, they told the, the ladies, hey, he's, he's resurrected, he's resurrected. And then Luke identifies them for us in Luke 24, 10, the words of the women. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna uh, and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. I don't have time to go into it, but it's, it's a, another cool study to look at these ladies that were involved. They would not have lied. Those ladies, some of them, there was great changes in their lives. And so they they would tell the truth, and yet they were thought to be, oh, you're, you're, you're pulling their legs. And then second thing, 
The greatest comeback is the discouraged disciples. The discouraged disciples. And I love he actually, Luke spends a lot of time on the discouraged disciples. And I wonder if there's anyone here today, you're a discouraged disciple. That you're, whatever you're going through or whatever is happening in your life, you don't see any way out. Luke here, he next describes in verses 11 through 25, the discouraged disciples. Well, how were they discouraged? Well, first of all, they had lost hope. They had lost their hope. Um, here he is. Now, let me just paint the picture for you. We're doing great on time today. Let me paint the picture. Just as it takes about two hours, to get from Jerusalem to where they're going, to Emmaus. It takes about two hours walking at a normal pace. So Jesus joins them according uh, with all he had to talk to them about. He probably joined them pretty close to when they were beginning their, their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Here he is. He's joined them, and they're just having to go at each other. They're just having this big conversation. And Jesus is walking along with them, and he says, what, what, are you, what are you guys talking about? Why are you looking so sad for? And they look at him, I'm talking about the verse before, but we're getting there. He said, they said, what's wrong with you? Don't you know this? And don't you know these things? And then he said, what things? What things am I supposed to know? And he said this. He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was prophet mighty indeed, and word before all, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Can you imagine the man whom you had, you had given you, you'd stopped doing everything else and you devoted your life to following this man. And all of a sudden, just in a, in a night, just three days later, just a little bit before, they were saying when he came into Jerusalem, praise the Lord, glory to God, this is the most wonderful man. Then they did what? They said, crucify him, crucify him. You're talking about throwing the world upside down. Can I ask you something this morning? Do you ever have your world turned upside down? Well, they had their world turned upside down and they crucified him. Can you imagine being one of his disciples? The, the, the hurt that they were feeling? But we trusted that it had been him which should have delivered us. That word trusted is the word hope. And it's used in the term, not like we have a confident expectation. It's more used just in this passage of, you know, we, we hope so. We, we, we thought for sure that he was going to be the one that was going to tell Rome, goodbye, I'm going to smash you, 
and he was going to destroy Rome, he was going to destroy all of Israel's enemies, they were going to reign, and everything was going to be alright. That's what they heard. They were discouraged disciples because their hopes were dashed. Can I ask you this morning, do you have any hopes that have been dashed? Do you have any hopes that have been dashed? Not only were their hopes dashed, but secondly, they had sad faces. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? This word is not used very much in the Bible, but the one time it is used, or one of the places it's used, Jesus is, is talking about those that fast, the religious leaders. They, they pucker their faces up. You know, they're doing without food. and They want everyone to know that they're doing without food. So they've got the, oh, oh, you know, they're just, they're letting everyone know that they're doing without. He says, you know what? He says, I can see it on your face. I can see it in the way you walk that you're brokenhearted. Now, whereas the religious leaders, they were faking it, here these disciples, man, they were people with broken hearts. You know what sadness does to you? You know what sadness does to you. Are you feeling that sadness? Sadness will weigh you down. Who, who can bear a heavy heart? It's hard to bear a heavy heart. So the Lord Jesus is talking to them and he's, he's noticing that they, they have sad faces. Notice not only that, but they have guarded hearts. They have guarded hearts. You remember when the ladies uh, when the ladies said, he's alive! He's alive! He's alive! I imagine their response and their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. They listened to what they said, and it's like they went into their shell. I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm not going to get hurt. I don't believe you. I haven't seen it. You know what? In life, in life, we can become just like them. We get hurt enough, we go into our shell, and it, it, it really takes a work of the Lord to get us back out. But here, these disciples, they, they have guarded hearts. They, they, don't want to, they don't want to, for somebody to have stolen the body. Here, they get their hopes up. No, they're, they're not going to take the chance. In fact, he says that Yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. Here they, they came and they said, this is a recall of what he just said. You know, they, they made us, they gave us, they gave us hope, but you know what? We weren't going to buy it. We weren't going to believe it. We didn't say it. So they had guarded hearts. And then they had confused thinking. 
And you know what? When you're discouraged, when you're discouraged, it leads to sad faces. Now, some people can be uh, really discouraged on the inside and pretty good on the outside. But these disciples, they weren't that way. And oftentimes, when, we, when we're discouraged disciples, we lose hope, we have sad faces, we have guarded hearts, and then we have confused thinking. He says what to them? When they start telling them their story, what does he say? He says, oh fools, and slow of heart to believe. Now that word fool there is not moron. That's the other word translated fool in the New Testament. He didn't say, you bunch of morons. What did he say? He said, you guys that don't, is slow, slow of thinking, slow of heart. Your thinking's not right. Your thinking's not straight. You're, you're confused in your thinking. And oftentimes when we are discouraged, our thinking is not where it should be. We, we're just not putting, putting two and two together like we should be. Then they had tunnel focus. They had tunnel focus. Notice with me, what do I mean by, you, you know what I mean by when I say tunnel focus. Here they are, they're walking from Jerusalem, and man, they're having this great big chat. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're walking, they've been walking a little bit together, and all of a sudden, Jesus, he comes up, Jesus drew near, he got right beside of them, and they didn't even see him. They were so, they were so into what they were thinking. They were so into what they were doing. You know what? In life, when we're discouraged disciples, what do we become? Now, I realize we can be narcissistic and all self-centered and still be, and just all be about us. We can do that without being discouraged. But when we get discouraged, what do we do? Where does our attention usually go? It goes for, for I'll use me for an example. If it's me, all my attention goes on my situation, on my circumstances, on how what's happened has affected me. They have tunnel focus. It's, it's all about them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And I love the fact that the, he actually, the, the scriptures actually say, you know what? The Lord hasn't let them figure it out. And this could be that the fact that they were so overwhelmed by their, their circumstances. But later on, it gives the idea that the Lord let them see, let them figure it out. And I will make an application to this just for a second. Sometimes, you know, what if right now, the Lord, when he's talking to them, he gets right beside of them, and he hears what they're saying about him, and he says, guys, it's okay, look at my hands, it's me. What if he'd have done that? Well, these two disciples, they wouldn't have learned near as much about the Lord as they're going to learn. And sometimes the Lord, the Lord could, you know, He could solve every difficulty, everything that discourages us from the very get-go. 
He doesn't have to let anything discourage us. But he lets us learn about him. Notice not only that, they couldn't get past their own thinking. They, they just had... Um, they only thought about winning their comfort, their victories, because he says, guys, don't, don't you believe what the prophets wrote? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? You know, didn't the devil, when Jesus was, was uh, tempted in Matthew 4, he said, Jesus, I'll give you a shortcut. He says, just worship me and I'll give you all these things. And you know what? Sometimes in our lives, God desires, He wills for us to suffer. Just like He allowed His Son to suffer. There's no shortcuts. There's times that He allows us to suffer. Paul said what? That I might fill up the sufferings of Christ. That I may experience some of the sufferings of Christ. Sometimes we think we, we want to go from win to win to win to good thing to good thing to win to win to win to win. When actually, the Lord has some hard things in there for us too. Not only that, they had curt words. You know, here they are, they're going to, they're going to Emmaus from Jerusalem, and Jesus comes to them and says, Man, I see you guys are upset. Uh, what, why are you upset? What, what things have happened? And they said, what? What, what communication, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk in or sad? And one of them, who was filled to said this, what's wrong with you? Are you just now getting here off the boat? What is wrong with you? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hadn't heard these things? Really? And then he tells about them. You know what? Sometimes when we're discouraged, sometimes when we're discouraged, we can have hurt words. And then the devoted Savior. Five minutes. Praise the Lord. What did the devoted Savior do? First of all, he walked with them. He walked with them. It says, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three furlongs, uh, three score furlongs. Can I just say, he walked with them, and they talked together of these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Do you know that if you know Christ as your Savior today, that Jesus is always with you? Even as a discouraged disciple, that Jesus is always with you. Now, isn't that wonderful that he just pulled up beside all of them, all of them and just started walking with them? He walked with them, and not only that, but their eyes were holding that they should not know. And sometimes we don't see 
that he's walking with us, but he is if we know him as our Savior. Not only was he walking with them, you can walk with someone and not care about them. He walked with them and he cared about them. And he said unto them, what manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? He saw that they were sad. And it broke his heart. How can I help? What's up here? He cared. Not only did he care, He asked them what was wrong. He said unto them, What manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? The Lord Jesus knows what's wrong. But he he highly values our telling. In fact, notice in the next verse, um, he listened as they listed their problems. And one of them said, are you only a stranger? Have you not heard? And he said, what things? And concerning Jesus, how the chief priests have condemned him to death. That's the next verse. We trusted that it had been him who was going to set up his kingdom. That's, that's what we thought. Here Jesus is. He's listening to the request. Does he know all these things? Does he know all these things? Yes, he knows. Does the Lord ever get tired? Does he ever belittle us? They're saying, I've heard that before. I've heard that prayer request before. Don't ask that again. He does not. He does not. He listened. Not only did he listen, He listened even when they were astonished, even when they were out of their head, when they weren't thinking right. He was listening. But how did he help? First of all, he gave instructions. He said to them, you know what? you got to get your thinking right. you got to get your thinking right. Think about who I am, he said. And he said, ought not to Christ have suffered these things? and enter into glory, and really summing it up. He listened, but he gave them instructions. And what were the instructions about? Remembering who he is. And he's appealing to the scriptures. He's saying, guys, you need to to find out who I am according to the scriptures. And it says, in beginning at Moses... Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful sermon? Wouldn't that have been wonderful to listen to? Him talking about himself. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy, I, I, I am he who was talked about in Genesis 3.15, the promised Messiah. When you observe the Passover, that, that, that was signifying who I, who I am and what I was going to do. Those different sacrifices that you gave, that was me. The manna that was given, that represented me. And I'm saying, I'm thinking, wow, what a wonderful message that would be. But how is it that he helped these discouraged disciples? He told them that he was the risen Lord. 
and he showed them. And we'll be done with that. Can I just say that he gave them throughout that, he he explained to them who he was. And if you're discouraged this morning, what's the best way out of the discouragement? Well, if you're depressed, it could be uh, a doctor visit is in need. But a lot of times it's a matter of looking at life and understanding who is key. Are we hoping in the wrong thing? Are we, are we wanting the wrong stuff? And finding out about Him and our resurrected Lord He's given us everything that we need to know in his book. And really, they only had the Old Testament. And he said, guys, I'm all through it. You know what? He's all through this book. How can we be encouraged? By taking heed to this book.